know our dear friend and brother Brandon Frey. Uh, Brandon is bringing the word to us this morning as he's got his bourbon socks on. Man, I like those. Brandon actually wore those a few weeks ago when I got to marry him. Uh, I didn't marry him, but I officiated his <laughs> wedding. That's, that's past a ago. You have to clarify. Um, but man, I'm excited for you. Uh, Brandon's going to be preaching on the fruit of the Spirit, the particular piece of patience. Um, many of you know that Brandon has been a, uh, a pastor in training here at the crossing. He aspires to be a pastor someday, maybe in a vocational or a non-vocational role. Uh, Brandon serves as an intern here, he's a deacon, he's a life leader, he's pretty much everything here except for a pastor. But one of these days, Lord willing. Um, Brandon, as well as uh, our good friend Tyler, they've, they've been serving a church in our network, High Plains Harvest, and once a month, uh, either of them has been preaching a sermon to that church body, uh, which has been a great delight and joy to, to share those resources and men who have conviction of the power of the Word and Christ is exposed through the Word. And uh, I'm sure it's been really good for you to get some more reps, but uh, this morning, uh, maybe you're going to get a little rep, so we're excited to have you. So, let, me, let me pray for us, and Brandon will uh, dive in. Father in heaven, we are grateful that this is a day that you have made. Uh, We do rejoice and we are glad in it. God, thank you for your benevolence, your kindness to us, your patience, your forbearance. And I pray just that as Brandon preaches that, that we would understand that more, that we would understand you more. And Lord, in turn, that that would result in us being patient, kind, forbearing to one another. Because that's what we see chiefly in Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray for this brother. Would you decrease? Would you increase? Would you uh, use this time now to wash us, your people, with your word? If there is anyone here who doesn't know you or is skeptical of you, Lord, I pray just that they would learn something new and fresh of who you are. Your patience, slow to anger, kind, abundant, and mercy, God, that you are. Lord, we are grateful for this time. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. All right, good morning. So it's for the kids here this morning. It's Sunday morning. You've probably already had breakfast. But who doesn't still love candy? So we have some candy that we would like to give you kiddos this morning. But first, I have a few things that I'd like to say. And so let's just start off with what is your favorite candy. So on the count of three, shout out what your favorite candy is, kiddos. One, two, three. (laughs) I heard Starburst in there, which is also my favorite as well. So in order to get the candy that we have for you today, you're going to have to show some patience. Because that's what our sermon today is talking about. It's talking about patience. So, patience is hard. Waiting is hard. Right, kids? When you're waiting for your birthday, waiting for Christmas, waiting for opening presents, it's, it's hard. But I want you to know is that, that God is patient with you guys. He's patient with you when you're not nice to your family or your siblings or your friends. God is patient with you. So, that allows you guys to be patient with your family, with your siblings. And so, in order to get the candy today, I'm just going to ask that you be patient throughout this sermon. And you guys have little sheets of paper. And so as you listen and are patient, you 
ahead and write down a few things that you've learned from today. A few things of what it means to be a patient. And then at the end of the service, if you've shown patience and if your parents will allow it, Madison, my wife, will be outside on the lawn handing out candy. Okay? All right. So, if any of you know, we've been going through the fruits of the Spirit this summer. Found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And so, as a pop quiz to all of you, the fruit of the Spirit are love. All right, all right, I'm impressed. Well done, you guys have been crafting. And so far, we've heard some great sermons on love, on joy, and on peace. And so today, that brings us to the fruit of the Spirit that is patience. And as I thought through this introduction, and how I'm probably the last person that should be up here talking about patience, I was trying to think through examples in my life where I displayed noble, godly, virtuous patience. But unfortunately, more examples of my impatience came to mind. So I thought, what better way to start off this morning than to call to our attention some of the things that most make us impatient in this life. So there's a lot of things. So I'm going to just list some things off. And if any of these resonate with you, feel free to shout out an amen. All right. Waiting at the doctor's office. Calling Comcast. Getting put on the wait list at a restaurant when you're starving. Texting friends who are the worst at texting back. Guilty. <laughs> Getting stuck behind the train that runs through the middle of Fort Collins at promptly 8 a.m., 12 p.m., and 5 p.m. every day. Traffic. The Department of Motor Vehicles. A poor internet connection, wearing a mask, people who aren't wearing a mask. So when we think of patience, we, we usually just simply think of waiting without whining, right? And the definition that I found online said that patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay or suffering without getting upset or angry. When I look at how the word patience or patience is used throughout the scripture, I think that it applies more than just tolerating frustrating things. I think that patience is manifested in the Bible in various ways. And so I tried to think through and to categorize the various ways that, that patience is used and most talked about so that it gives us a more robust definition. And so the, the three categories that I found in the scriptures, the primary ones, are patience as waiting, patience as enduring, and patience as love. So conveniently, this is going to be a three-point sermon, and as we work through each point, patience as waiting, patience as enduring, and patience as love, we're going to back that up with some stories from the Bible. And so my stab at a definition of biblical patience would go something like this. Patience is rooted in our experience of God's love. And our experience of God's love is evidence in our waiting, our enduring, and our patience towards others. So my hope and my prayer for us this morning as we look at patience is that as you trust in the Lord and experience His love, your capacity for patience would be good. Alright, let's get to the first point already. Point one, patience as waiting. We're going to start off today by looking at a, a familiar story that evidences patience. 
waiting in the Bible. And it's the story of, of Abraham and Sarah. As they waited for their first child, their son, the heir, who whom all the blessings of the earth would be passed through. And so, you guys might be familiar with the story, but Abraham comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abraham in verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we see God's promised blessing to Abraham. And not only to Abraham, but to the entire world. So we see Abraham's trust and his faith as he immediately takes his wife Sarah and their posse and depart their homeland and head to the country that God has called them to. But this text. And the catch is that his wife Sarah is, is pretty old. She's barren and, and they're childless. And Abraham at this point is 75 years old. And it doesn't take long before they're on their journey when Abraham makes a very, very poor decision that compromise and put in jeopardy the promises of God. So years and years go by, and there's still this tension in the story because there's still no crib in their tent. And Sarah is just continually getting older and older and older. And so we arrive in Genesis chapter 15 in the story, and we see that Abraham is waiting, has some pretty concerns. And there's this exchange between Abraham and the Lord in verses 1 through 6. It says this, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household be my heir. And behold, the Lord of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to. So shall your offspring bring. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we see that, that Abraham is concerned about Sarah's barrenness. But God graciously reminds Abraham that he will fulfill his promise. But then we see Sarah and Abraham take matters into their own hands, throwing waiting to the wind, being impatient, taking a shortcut. They devise this plan that ends up failing for obvious reasons. Sarah suggests that Abraham should speak with their mate over Hagar to get her pregnant so they can have a son so they can help God fulfill their good promise to them. And so they execute on this grand plan and it ends up failing. And then Hagar does get pregnant and she has a son, a smile, but still we're left waiting. Where is Abraham's true son? Where is his heir? And at this point, Abraham is 86 years old. And so, we're left waiting. 13 years go by, and finally, God tells the 99-year-old Abraham that he will have a son. With his wife, Sarah, who at this point is 89 years old. And their son should be, should be called Isaac. And so a year passes, Sarah conceives, gives birth to Isaac, and so God has fulfilled his promise to them. God has perfect his plans for redemptive history throughout through Abraham's family. And in his good and perfect timing, he accomplishes his purposes. 
25 years to have their son. 25 years. That's a long time. And there's a lot that we can draw from this story, but what I want us to focus on is the idea of patience as evidence to our waiting on the Lord. Did they evidence perfect patience? Most definitely not. But the beauty that in this story, that even though Abraham and Sarah messed up more times than we'd like to think, they were not perfect examples, God still showed compassion on them. So we see God's patience and humanity on full display when we see Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. And the book of Romans actually gives some insight into their waiting. In chapter 4 in Romans, it speaks to Abraham's faith. It says that Abraham's faith is actually increasing as the time of waiting went on. It says he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And in Hebrews, chapter 11, it speaks to, to Sarah's faith. It says in Hebrews 11, 11, By faith, Sarah received herself power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah must have had a heart pain somewhere along this dream. Because the more the more that they believed God would actually fulfill his promise, their patience actually grew. And waiting is such a difficult concept. I mean, we live in an age where everything is on demand. Everything is accessible and readily available. Everything has become so efficient that even a delay in a matter of seconds causes us frustration and pain. I mean, we have targeted advertisements on our social media feeds that are just screaming to buy, to buy us now, right? And we have Amazon Prime, right? Amazon Prime, free two-day shipping, where we can buy something online, and sometimes in less than 24 hours, things can show up on your website. I don't even know how that is logistically possible. My question, my question real quick, everyone, is, those of you who have Amazon Prime, which I imagine is a good portion of you, have you ever not selected free two-day shipping? Have you ever just offered to say, hey, I just want the standard five to seven business days? Go ahead. If that's you, raise your hand. <laughs> All right. We might have to talk about lying in our next survey because that is a hard thing to do. Right? Talk about delayed gratification. And this global pandemic, for many of us, has proved challenging to, to go to the gym. Right? So, my wife Madison and I, and the rest of the world, have decided that we should invest in a home gym, right? And there is no gym equipment in stock. It is hard to come by gym equipment. I mean, I would scan pages five and six in Google search to try to find inventory in stock. It is a challenge. And when I would find inventory in stock, it would take like one to two weeks for it to get to my door. And that is hard, right? Madison kindly pointed out that my patience was not on display during this whole pandemic. Not only that, I feel pretty bad for our poor FedEx lady who had to lug 100-pound boxes up to our doorstep for like two weeks straight while we were at home. And I know these are silly examples, but they are rooted in our culture's desire for instantaneous gratification. The social media perpetuates this problem as we see others want what we so affectionately want. Social media does not help cultivate patience in us, right? But it isn't always material things. I do believe that we have genuine right desires for things in this life that God so 
does enjoy giving us. So we should go give you patience for waiting for those things. And maybe you, like Abraham and Sarah, are waiting for your first child, your second child. And you're crying out to God, God, where are you? Or maybe you're single and you have been for some time. And you have a genuine right desire for a godly husband or a godly wife. And you're asking the Lord, Lord, where? Where is my wife? Where is my husband? In the last month and a half, I've gotten married and I've turned 30. And so there's, I've been lying up probably because there wasn't times throughout my 20s that I pleaded with God to bring me a godly life. That was a hard thing to do. Waiting is a hard thing to do. But trust me, waiting, trusting in the Lord is so, so worth it. So there are some clear wants and desires of our hearts that are honorable to God, but that we are still required to wait for with patience. And hearing the story of Abraham and Sarah, it reminds us that we are not alone in our waiting. We are not alone in our waiting. And the type of patience that we cultivate in our lives, it comes from trusting God to fill His promises. And God will fill His promises because He loves us. We need to understand that our waiting, in our waiting, God may not answer our prayers exactly how we want Him to, right? We need to trust, though, that God's purposes and plans are far better than what we can imagine. It's tough, but we need to, to trust that His plans are better than ours. His purposes are much bigger than ours. So maybe He will bless you with children. Maybe he will bless you with a godly spouse. But if he doesn't, we must still consider God good. Who knows the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God? How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? Who has been the Lord's counselor? Romans 8 28 reminds us that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But what that doesn't mean that if you love God, you're going to get all the things, all the things that you want and desire. That might be your definition of good, but it might not be what God's definition of good is, which is actually good news for us, because God knows what we need far more than what we think we need, right? So that's actually good news. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God knows this is not easy for us, but the waiting that you might be in right now, the waiting that you're in, is meaningful. It is significant. It does not go unnoticed. And one author, he says this, God's chosen pace, as well as God's chosen place for us. That bewildering, confusing, painful place where we feel like we are stuck is redemptive. There is more at stake than we can see and more going on that meets our eyes. So, as you find yourself waiting in a season, in this season, go ahead and cry to God because He does hear you and your waiting does not go unnoticed. Take heart and be strong 
you working out his grand redemptive purpose in your waiting. This flows nicely now to our, to our second point of the day, which is patience as endurance. So throughout the scriptures, we see patience expressed through the act of endurance. This is a huge element of what it means to be patient. And I would argue that biblical patience it requires us to endure through trials as they allow us to share the suffering of Jesus, trusting fully that when we endure to the end, we will be eternally rewarded. So for our second point, we're going to see patience as evidence through endurance by looking to the life of Paul. I mean, the New Testament is, is just riddled with stories and examples of Paul's suffering. This was a man who faithfully endured to the very end. And as you read this book of Acts, with Paul's various letters, you get an up-close and personal look at Paul's suffering. So to get a glimpse of Paul's hardships, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. So if you have the Bibles today, go ahead and open them up. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, and we'll go through 28. And it's here that Paul gives us a high-level summary of all the sufferings that he endured. It is quite the list. It might not be exhaustive, but it is quite the list. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. I am talking like a madman far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless means, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the holy lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. That is quite the list. And here Paul is actually going to go on to be in prison two more times, and he's going to await his execution, which historians believe that Paul was martyred for the decapitation that he was beheaded for the sake of Jesus. And the Greek word for patience can be be translated as enduring, long-suffering, forbearance, perseverance, and has a pretty wide semantic range. And so just to help to build the case that enduring is masters of patience, I just want to read off a few verses that show their correlation. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, in patience and tribulation. Colossians 1.11. Be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might all endurance and patience with joy. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. Because you have kept my word without patient endurance, I will keep you in the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. So it is safe to say that what God desires us to be patient as we endure through trials. And there are plenty of reasons for that. But I just want to look at three really quick. The first that as we endure trials, it gives us a glimpse into the suffering that Jesus endured. And thus, in some sense, it allows us to share in the suffering of Christ. And we know that because of the fall and Adam and Eve, we live in a Genesis 3 world. That is, it's 
marred and characterized by sin. Sin came to restore the world, restore mankind. We suffered greatly for that. Second, as we share in his suffering, it leads us to be more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. This is the process of sanctification. Our growth in godliness is what God desires for us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And in James chapter 1, verse 2, He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you plow the various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness in you. You see, trials, they sanctify us. Grow us. They mature us. And the third reason, and the one that we'll spend a little bit more time on, is that we are called to patiently endure through trials because of our future inheritance. We patiently endure hardship because we know that the eternal reward is well worth the wait. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 says, Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And as Christians, we know that once this mere vapor of an earthly life fades and vanishes away, that we will be united with Jesus in eternity. The eternal reward will allow us to experience perfect union with God our Father. Psalm 611 says that in your presence there is fullness of joy. Our reward will give us unwavering peace. Resurrected and perfected bodies that are free from death and decay and pain and suffering. We will have joy, the fullest extent imaginable, joy that never fades away. So as we endure tribulations and trials on this side of eternity, we do so by looking forward to our reward that is waiting us. And another way to say that is we endure hardship in this life with an eschatological mindset, looking forward. Jesus tells us in Luke 319 that by your endurance you will gain your life. This Paul says in 2 Corinthians 417, for this life momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or in Romans 818, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. These verses show us what it looks like to have an eschatological mindset. When we live in Colorado, we have a lot of great hikes. We have stellar views all around. We have plenty of trees from. We can choose 10,000, 11,000, 13,000, kind of 14,000 foot matter mountains. And I, and I think that this isn't always the case, but generally, the harder a hike, the better the reward, the better the summit, the better the view. It's not always the case, but a lot of times, the harder the hike, the more rewards you're going to get. So if you're hiking a 14 for example, then you're probably putting in 10 to 20 miles. You're enduring multiple different kinds of terrain exposure to the, to the elements, maybe going through the trees. Uh, and it, it can be tough before you get to the summit. But once you do summit up peak in Colorado, it's always worth it. Having a panoramic view or some snow-capped Rocky Mountains or the icy cold snow melt runoff that you can dive into that crisp refreshing air is always worth it. But it can be a labor. It can be a grind getting to that summit. And when you're trudging up the mountain, when you're in the thick of it, 
we become really discouraged. And I think that when we're doing that, our natural instinct is to look down at the hiking, right? I don't know why that is. Maybe it's a part of the journey less energy, but we're looking down at the hiking, which, to be honest, the scenery at our feet isn't very great. And it can be discouraging just watching yourself trip over rocks and sticks and branches. It's disheartening sometimes. And it, it requires maybe even more work because it's part of the breeze and you're looking down all the time. But on a long hike, if we look toward the summit, to look where we're headed, it gives the sometimes difficult and terrible hike a framework. Right? Having the end in mind, having the summit in mind, gives us motivation, helps us to push through the trial that is a difficult hike, the 10 to 20 miles, sometimes tedious, sometimes difficult hike. It gives us a framework for getting to the summit. And I think that the biblical authors want us to have a similar mindset to that. They want us to patiently endure through life's trials by having the end in mind. We need to have the end in mind because it brings so much perspective to our current pain. We need to depend on God's sustaining grace and sustaining strength and then focus our eyes on the eternal reward that await us in heaven, that are ours in Christ Jesus. Patience is rooted in our experience of God's love 
God's love is evident in our waiting, in our enduring, and our patience towards others. And so I want us to see that God's love for us leads to us loving others through our patience towards them. And what better place to see this is than the church of the gospel to see how Jesus evidenced great patience in waiting and patiently enduring his 12 disciples. Because, let's be real, sometimes disciples have a question. Like, what, what are you doing, disciples? You've been with Jesus for three years. You've been with all these miracles, and you still don't get it. It can be frustrating watching the disciples. But time and time again, Jesus took and passed on his disciples and his patience with them because he loved them. Jesus, who is perfect, God incarnate, took love with the disciples, disbelief, their thick-headedness, their arrogance for three whole years. And he did it, again, because he loved his disciples. So we get some examples of this. In John chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. The disciple Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus shows a lot of patience to Philip. Because if it was me, I would smack him across the head and go, Dude, do you not get it? I just said it. You've seen me for three years. How do you not get it? But thankfully, Jesus shows patience. Or in Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 38, says this. Then James and John came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. Jesus responds by saying, you do not know what you're asking. I mean, right here, Jesus could have just cut James and John from the kingdom. Right? Like, for their request for special positions and assignments, like, Jesus could have cut them pretty easily, but he doesn't. In fact, the other guys actually get pretty mad that James and John would have even asked this in the first place. But Jesus, in patience and compassion, actually explains to them what it means to be a true leader and what that means is to be the servant of all. And lastly, let's just look at Peter real briefly. So we know Peter had a pretty loud mouth. And he was pretty impulsive, right? Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Uh, and we know that in Matthew 16, Peter actually confesses Jesus as a Christ. And Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And that's a great response. It's a pretty solid response, Peter. But then, later in the book of Matthew, Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And Peter says, no, no, no. Jesus, I will never fall away from you. And he says, Peter, tonight you're going to die me three times. We know the story. Peter does, in fact, deny Jesus three times that very night. We know that this is a significant mistake that Peter made. But it's safe to say that Peter was repentant and that Jesus showed him immense compassion and patience and mercy. Because Peter would go on to encounter suffering, beatings, and martyrdom. We, we can know from Peter's writing in the first and second Peter that. He was a man who was repentant and he was showing great 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What an insightful verse. I think we could all agree that we've been in that camp who count bonus as different than God, right? Many But here we see that God's patience is actually meant to lead us to repentance. God does not want us to perish. Therefore, He is delayed in His second return so that more and more people might come to repentance and faith and trust in Christ. This is also confirmed in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, You presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's patience is meant to lead you to repentance. This is good news for us, because in God's love, He sent Jesus. Jesus came and He lived the life that we failed to live. He was patient with those we could never be patient with. He came to pay the debt of sin over our heads. He did this that we would be united with God. That we would inherit all the promises of God. And this is all made possible through Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. God's love for us leads to his patience with us. And his patience and kindness toward us should lead us to repentance and faith in Christ. So if you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord, I urge you, let God's patience and kindness toward you lead you to repentance and faith in King Jesus. And so as we experience God's love and His patience, it then motivates our love toward others. This can be evidence in our patience with them. See how it's well correlated? First Corinthians 11 reminds us that love is patience. Love is patience. Love is kind. And again, this is just reflected in our definition that we gave. Patience is rooted in our experience of God's love, and our experience of God's love is evidence in our patience towards others. And so if you are maybe lacking in experience of God's love, I would just simply encourage you to do two things. First is to reflect on your sense Really, really contemplate this. Because oftentimes, I don't think we think or repent or contemplate our sinfulness until we've done something really, really bad. But when we do that, we become complacent in the sin that we commit on a daily and hourly basis. How often do we presume upon the kindness and the patience of the Lord? How often do we become impatient with God? The more that we acknowledge our sin, the more that grace is going to taste just that much sweeter. Second step. Don't just wallow in your wretchedness. Actually meditate on the grace that you've been shown. As far as the east is from the west, so are your sins forgiven. Reflect on the cross of Christ. Reflect on the gospel and your salvation. That although you were dead, and I was dead because of our sins, God, who is rich in mercy and love, made us alive. And by grace we have been saved through faith. Preach this to yourself every day. And see how your experience of God's love deepens. See how your experience of God's love deepens. And as your 
experience of God's love and goodness, we should cultivate a desire to show patience towards others. So who in your life needs your patience? Are there people in your life that you just largely ignore because you don't want to be frustrated with them? Or maybe you're running on a short fuse and you're at this family, and just the slightest thing would just cause you to explode.